Hey guys, uh, my name is Cody. I get to be the pastor here. We're good. To, uh, it's good to see all of you guys. We're going to be in um, for Second uh, Samuel chapter twelve today. Um, if you've got a Bible, um, we're going to be there verses one through ten, and then we're going to skip down and look at verses thirteen through fifteen. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's going to be the, on the screen for you. And um, man, I'm excited about about this sermon. Um, excited about this passage. And also just excited about the things that have been going on in our church. Um, if you'll notice, if you come in, there's like tons of gifts and stuff out there. Many of you have come bearing gifts. Y'all responded in a huge way. And we're blessing some of the kids that go to this school um, through Angel Tree. And man, y'all, y'all did such a good job. Um, and, and you're bringing all those today. And then so much so that the school asked and said, hey, would you be willing to like help bless our teachers too? We're like doing stocking stuffers. And so there's a box out there and many of you have already brought stuff and we're going to get to do that next week too. So if you didn't get to, if all the angels were taken and you didn't get to get in on that, you can come and bring some stocking stuffers, just candy, knickknacks, stuff like that. Um, come drop that off. It's, it's going to be good, good stuff. And then also like the scavenger hunt. I'm sorry, I'm getting into all kinds of stuff. There's so many things I'm excited about going on in our church, but I'm really excited about the passage and that's what I, y'all actually... <laughs> pay me to do. So that's what I'm going to get to. Okay. All right. Y'all are standing. I'm going to read this and let y'all get seated. All right. So second Samuel chapter 12, this is about 25 years. We've gone, we've, we've passed 25 years in, in one week's time. Okay. We were in first Samuel last week. Now we're in this one where it's 25 years into David's life. All right. He's now ruling and reigning over both Judah and Israel. All right. And here's where we pick this up. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. And he used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. And now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd and prepare for the guest who had come with him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave, your, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword of the Lord shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Down in verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, 
the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. Let's pray. God, um, this is not a typical Christmas passage, um, but God, we're looking at the kings and preparing our hearts um, for the coming of the king of kings. And so, God, um, as Kyle prayed, um, as we prayed, that you would overturn these things in our hearts. God, we ask that you would do that today as we look at what David did, what Nathan did, and Lord, ultimately, at what you did. Um, God, may we... Um, May, may we be laid bare today. God, would you encourage us where we need encouragement? Would you convict us where we need conviction? And God, may your word rule and reign more than our word. We ask it in Jesus' good, good name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Again, if you're coming in a little bit late, my name is Cody. I get to be the pastor here. And um, we're in our third week of our series on the kings. We're looking at the life of David. Last week, we looked at Saul, who was the insecure king. Um, David kind of rose to prominence and fame um, by killing a, a giant named Goliath. And because of that act, he became famous and he um, incurred the wrath of Saul. Saul was insecure and was scared of him. And so he tried to kill him multiple times. He tried to kill David. And so David, this is probably, um, this is around, when, when all that happens last week in, in 1 Samuel, David is probably around, he, he's, he's younger than 20 years old. He's 18, 19 years old when he strikes down Goliath. And then real, real quickly after that, is when he goes on the run from Saul. And he's on the run. He spends all of his 20s as an outlaw. Like Jesse James type stuff, except more noble. So think of that. Now think about, what did you do in your 20s? Well, we know what Lori did. She's laughing. Right? But what did you do? How did you spend your 20s? How did you spend your 30s? By the time we get to this story, David, David is about 45 years old, which is significant. I, I'm 48. I'll be 49 in, in, uh, in, in March. See, I, I, I'm, I, that's how old I'm getting. I'm forgetting when my birthday is. All right? So, and time just flies by faster and faster. This is a chapter of real life in a real person. I don't want us to approach David as an idea. I don't want us to, to, to this is a real guy. And I've and I got to be honest with you. I've gone through stages in my life of how I've looked at David. Um, up until this last week, preparing for this sermon, the stage where I was at with David, I didn't like him. As I looked at his life and looked at how he used people and looked at, and not just this thing, but just looked at some of the things. I had a hard time, like I literally, and I've said this to some of you and I'll go ahead and say it publicly. Like I, I really did wonder like, whenever I get to heaven, how am I going to treat David when I meet him? It's a good thing that my sin nature will be gone because I wasn't looking forward to it in the state that I'm in now. Just being completely raw and honest with you guys. And this is the hard thing you have to deal with with Scripture. You're going to run into some scoundrels in Scripture. And you can deal with the scoundrels, but what's hard is when you run into someone good who started so good, and then they crashed and burned so badly. 
That's a hard thing to deal with. It's hard when our expectations are shattered for our leaders. So we catch this up. Some of you say, well, why in the world would we start the story here? Well, let me just catch you up on what's happened. As I said, he had been on the run for 10 years. Saul finally is killed. David has to do a little bit more battling, a little bit more political maneuvering. He, and then he becomes the, the king in Judah young, at, you know, about 12 years after this. It takes him another seven years of battling and political maneuvering and um, strategic marriages to unify both Israel and Judah. And he becomes the king of both of those about seven years after he becomes king of Judah. He unites them, at, so 17 years. And they pick up this story in chapter 12, but what happened immediately before that in chapter 11, it says at the beginning, in, 11, in, in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the spring, when the kings went out to war, David stayed home, and while he was on his rooftop one day, he saw Bathsheba bathing, and he sent his soldier sent his his men to go get her they brought him, her to his house they slept together he had an affair now at that point you're wondering is it consensual we don't know it doesn't seem like it he's the king he gets to do whatever he wants and it goes back to what god warned them about through samuel this king will take your sons he'll take your daughters he'll take your wives he'll take he did actually tell him he would take his wives then he didn't say that but David totally took that liberty. You see how it's... Maybe this is arousing a little bit of anger in you toward David. I don't know. It did me. And I wrestled with it for a long, long time. But this is a difficult thing that for, for Christian and non-Christian alike. We long for godly leadership. And then we read this. And we're like, let down once again. And, but here's even a more difficult thing. Maybe you are more compassionate toward David and you see this. And especially those last few words where it says, I have not, uh, you're, you're, I'm not holding your sin against you. You still belong to me. I'm not taking the kingdom from you. Nevertheless, the child shall die. That's a tough one to realize. Wait a minute. Hold on, God. You said I'm forgiven. You said I still belong to you. You said I'm still yours. Why am I being punished? Why? You said I was forgiven. Why is this terrible thing happening to me? Do you feel it? Have you been there? So let's go ahead and look at what David did. I've already told you a little bit about what has happened. But here's the main thing. When you, when you take God lightly, you will lead poorly. If you take the Lord lightly, you will lead poorly. Now this is true whether you are a single mom or a single dad, or whether you are married and you're leading your spouse or you're leading your kids, or whether you are an employer or whether you are a pastor. Or whether you're the captain of a football team. It doesn't matter where you are. If you take the Lord lightly. You have automatically put a cap on your leadership. 
like we said, he's 30 when he becomes king of Judah. This happen, he's 37 when he becomes king of all Israel. He's now around 45 years old. Here's something that happens when you get to your early 40s. And, and I realize that when I say that I'm 48, almost 49, I realize that I'm one of the old guys in our church. Okay? I don't know if you've looked around, but like, there's, like this is the most gray, in, you know? Like, there, now, thankfully, praise God, we're starting to get a few more older people. I, and I, I got to tell you, if you are out there and you're older than me, you are a gift from the Lord to our church. Okay? Not just for my own insecurity. But no, but I need older people. I, I, need, I need that experience to, 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 to glean from. Okay? I need that. Okay? So but, so, but there's an interesting thing that happens that I learned from a guy who's completely gray. He said, when you get to your 40s, you realize, and, it, and, it, and it's not a hard, fast age, but you realize that you can't do relationships the way you did in your 20s and 30s. Your 20s and 30s, you're spent just, you're grinding. You're trying to make a life for yourself. By the time you get to 40s, you should have kind of already had that leveled out. You, you got a plan for getting your house paid off. You've got your cars that you're not having to keep together with, you know, bubble gum and bailing wire. And, you, you know, you've kind of got things figured out. But, but then you have, but, but your soul is craving more. And you start having to do relationships a little bit differently. And here's the, here's the really scary thing that our counselor, who's full of gray hair, told us. He goes, if you don't face who you are and go back into this family of origin and your identity and face who you are and all of those wounds and all of those things, in your 40s, in, in this time, you will revert back to trying to live like you, when you did when you are in your 20s and 30s. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm going to say it right now. There is nothing more pathetic, prophetic and pathetic than a person in their 40s trying to live like they're in their 20s. It just don't come off well and you can't do it well. Don't do that. But I will tell you, it's hard. And, and I think this is where David is. He's, he, is, he is grinding. He spent his 20s on the run. He's, he's, he's honed leadership skills. He's united the kingdoms. He has all of it. And now he has this power. He has this privilege. And he's 45 years old. He's at the top of his game. And there's this dangerous, dangerous thing that happens. When you reach the pinnacle and you're in your 40s and you have all of this power and all of this privilege, you start thinking that people owe you things. Or you start thinking that you're above the law. This is a this thing. This happens in leadership all the time. Happens in leadership all the time. Politicians, police officers, pastors, any it, it, and those are public places, and it's hard, and you're being criticized. I mean, th my my son wants to be a politician. I'm thinking, bro, you better get some thick skin, and more than thick skin, you better develop a heart of steel. Not hard towards people, but it better be, it, it just better be strong in the Lord. Because what happens, you get, you, you take all these punches, whether you think about this. It's no, it's no wonder that politicians or people in, in huge forms of leadership have these moral failings. 
Because this, there's this self-delusion. You, you take all of these hits and this thought creeps in that I, I owe this to myself. I deserve this. These people, they don't even know what all the stuff that I've put up with. I've had to do this. I've had to do this. I've had to do this. I've suffered this criticism, this criticism. I just owe it to myself to just let my hair down a little bit. It happens with celebrity. It happens with athletes. Anytime you have this sense of power, it happens. And David is no exception. But, the main thing, the main thing of what he did is that you may be sitting there thinking, oh man, now you're painting David in a different light. It seems like he's a victim and yada, yada, yada. No, no, no. The main thing that David did, and it's found down in verse 14, he utterly scorned the Lord. We're going to get back to that in a little bit as we get there and what that actually means. But all of his actions reveal what his heart position was toward the Lord. He utterly scorned the Lord. And you say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that David was a man after God's own heart? Yes, it does. Well, is the Bible lying? No, it's not. Was what the Bible said true? Yes, it was. Well, how can someone who has who really loves the Lord and go after the Lord sin so like crazily? Because when you start looking at like what he did, not only did he take Bathsheba, got her pregnant, then he decided, I gotta try to cover this up. Uriah, who was one of his best friends. Don't let that be lost on you. Uriah was one of the guys, he, Uriah the Hittite, he wasn't a Jewish guy. He was the guy who David brought to himself while he was out there on the run, while he was being killed. He was the guy who followed David had, and was loyal to David. He brought him home, said, hey, you've been a good soldier. I want you to go home and enjoy your wife tonight. Next morning, they wake up and find out that Uriah didn't, he never even went inside the house. He slept outside. And David said, why didn't you go in and enjoy your wife? He's, all, he's just trying to get Uriah to sleep with his wife so it can be covered up so he don't have to take the blame. And Uriah won't go in there. He says, what are you doing, Uriah? And Uriah's like, my, my troops are out there fighting and I'm here? No, 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 I'm not doing that. And he has no idea. He's speaking with way more integrity than David. And David's just getting churned like this because he's like, what do I do? Tries it another night, tries to get him drunk. Even in a drunken stupor, Uriah won't go in because he has so much honor for his troops. Now, there's a picture of great leadership. So what David does, the, the utterly scornful thing that David said, besides taking Bathsheba, besides trying to cover it up, he sends word to his general. He says, you go out there. He goes, when the battle gets hard, send them in. But, he's, but this is crazy. He says, don't send Uriah in there by himself. Because if he would have sent Uriah in there by himself, it would have looked, it, everybody would have seen it. It would have, it would have set off too many red flags. No, send the whole company in there. So it's not just that he killed Uriah. There were dozens of other guys who died. He was one casualty among dozens that David is doing to cover up his sin. Are you getting this? Why the Lord says you have utterly scorned the Lord? 
These people that I've chosen, these people that I have brought out of captivity, these people that I have appointed you to lead, all these people, you have used them in the most heinous, terrible way possible. Now, with all of that said, why didn't the Lord just kill him and say, I'm done, I'll just get up another king. I raised you up and I'll just get another one. Because God keeps his word, even when we don't keep ours. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so we've looked at what David did. Now I want to move into what Nathan did, because this is incredible. Nathan has been a longtime friend of David. Nathan is a prophet. That means that he is primarily concerned as speaking the word of the Lord. He can't do anything otherwise. If he speaks something that's not the word of the Lord, he, he's considered a false prophet. And he just loses his whole status. He only can say what the Lord does. But he does it shrewdly. So what David did was he utterly scorned the Lord. What Nathan did was he shrewdly confronted David. And we see this in verses 1 through 10. Now, Nathan took the Lord seriously. David had managed to cover up all of his sin, but he couldn't hide it from the Lord. And here's something I'll tell you. You can't hide your sin from the Lord either. And sometimes, in God's graciousness, He'll tell on you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this whole, this whole thing that you got with like, you know, priests keeping, you know, secrets and stuff like that. Oh, no, no. God, God didn't take that vow. He'll tell on you. He did right here. He told Nathan. Told Nathan what had happened. And what does Nathan do? Now I say he shrewdly confronted. He confronted David. But notice how he does it. Now before I get to there. I just want to say. Nathan took the Lord seriously. He did not take the word of the Lord lightly. What about you? How do you take the word of the Lord? How do you take God's word? What happens when you read something in Scripture that you disagree with? If you come at it and you say, well, that was for, you know, 5,000 years ago. You're taking the word of the Lord lightly. Well, that's for Jesus to keep, but not for me. You're taking the word of the Lord lightly. You're not seeing it the way that you're supposed to see it. If you read something, you say, oh, I don't like that. I'm skimming over that section. You're taking the word of the Lord lightly. I don't like this. I'm just going to set my Bible down for, I don't know, a week, a month, a year. I'm going to lay out a church. I don't like what they're, I don't like what I'm hearing. You're taking the word of the Lord lightly. How do you take it? Nathan took it seriously. And here's the, but here's the shrewd part. David, Nathan did not walk into David's presence and say, I know what you did. He didn't do that. He didn't say, you are the man. He didn't lead with that. He awakens David's conscience. He tells him a story. Now, what, when we, and we see it with David's reaction. Because in all the law, there's no the law that says you kill a guy for killing a lamb. There's nothing in Leviticus about that. Well, what about stealing? 
Yeah, maybe cut off their hand, but don't kill them. David's reaction, on the other hand, is this guy deserves to die. What's happening with David? This is a fascinating thing. And I bet you can see it in your life if you're willing to look there. And I would encourage you, don't be scared. Go ahead and take a peek. We'll get super righteous about sin in other people's lives, especially if it's the hidden sin in ours. A few years back, Jimmy Swagger, a few years back, like it's two or three. It's been like 40. <laughs> See, you have perspective when you're my age. Jimmy Swagger, who was had an affair with a girl named, I think, Jessica, something like that, some bad, something bad. And in the weeks preceding that, he, his most fiery, impassioned sermons were about adultery. His conscience was awakened. And he was still trying to hide it. And this is what happens with David. He's trying to hide this. And he writes about it in the Psalms later and goes, when I was trying to hide my sins, he goes, it was crushing me. You crushed my bones. And it's, it is so good of the Lord. He is so gracious. He is so gracious that he will not let it stand in his own. That he will not let you go. If you can go on and keep on sinning and you have no conscience about it, no remorse about it, no conviction, then my friend, you are in the most dangerous position there is because you probably don't belong to him in the first place. And I long for you to have more than that. There is so much more with the Lord that you can have than just going your own way and taking Him lightly. And Nathan knows this. And because he knows this and because he loves David, he goes to him. And you got to understand, he is taking his own life in his hand. He knows what David has done. He's killed dozens of guys. He's the king. He has all this power. He has all this authority. And he's still, because he doesn't take the word of the Lord lightly, he walks into that room and says, hey, this, this, this. By the way, David, you're the guy. And with those words, you are the man, David could have killed him. We, we know he's not opposed to killing his friends. He's already done it. I'm telling you, you and I need Nathans in our lives. You and I need Nathans, friends that are willing to confront us and point out things even if the relationship is on the line because they're not holding the relationship. They're, they're confronting us because they know the relationship is not on the line. We need people like that. My best friend is Jason Vance. Jason and I have walked through a lot of stuff together. Let me tell you how Jason and I became friends. It was a rocky start on my part. He was new to the association where I pastored. He came up to me and a guy named Joe Ligon. I think Joe's preached here before. Maybe. I can't remember. Has? Okay, great. Let's see. That's another downfall of being almost 50. You just forget things. So, yeah, thank you. So, so gracious and kind of you. Um, uh, he comes up to me and Joe 
and he um, he says, "Hey guys, uh, how how are you doing? What 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 are y'all talking about?" We, because me and Joe were having this conversation about something going on in the association, and me, I said, "What kind of truck do you drive?" Like that has any bearing on anything, but I'm kind of curious, and I was being playful, and then Joe says, "If you're here in two or three years, I'll we'll tell you." And Jason. He just turned around and walked away. In his own words, he's like, screw this. I don't need those guys. But later on, we became friends, and we started planting churches together, and we both moved out here, and we've just weathered through a lot of, a lot of things. And in, in, in other friendships and just things that I've, I've had to work through, hard things that I've had to work through, Jason has been a good, good source of counsel. A good ear that loves me, that the relationship is not on the line, but also willing to confront me. The most confrontational thing that he said when I was having a real hard time with, with, with a guy, a common friend of ours, and I was just, oh, I was just so mad at this guy. And I never will forget JV on the phone line. I know, I know where I was, I, I, I know where I was when he said it to me in the car driving. I was about to make the U-turn right there at, at, in front of the, the, the Home Depot right there outside of my house. Conversation had started about, a, a, about an hour before, and I was about to make that U-turn, and as I was pulling into that turn lane, Jason said, Do you hate him? Hmm. And it was, you know, not to say that the relationship was on the line, but he was just confronting Sin that he saw in my life. And asking me about it. Do you hate him? That was the thou art the man moment in Jason and I's relationship. I don't know if you have friends like that. I will tell you this. You need them. And you say, well, I don't have any like that. Well, you better go get them. Well, where do I find them? I don't know. But you better go get some. Because you, you are not man enough and you ain't woman enough to do this thing on your own. You are not, you, you can't handle it. Like Jack Nichols, you can't handle the truth. You can't, that's it. You can't. You better, you, and it, it doesn't happen automatically. It does take little doses of vulnerability over time. Where you build up this relational trust. You need them. Go, Get a Nathan. And here's the best way to get a Nathan. Be a Nathan. Be, it's vulnerable. I know it's scary. You say, well, where in the, how do I just do this? Do I just you know, talk to the checker at Fry's? No. Don't get weird. Love Jesus. Don't get weird. You're, here's the next step. Get in community. Get into a, co a community group. And start sharing life with people and, and, and just opening up. It's not going to happen all at once. But I'll tell you, the reason that our, I, I will say this. I think the reason that our church is still here and the reason we survived COVID like we did was because of the strength of our community groups. This thing going on on Sunday mornings, this is not, this isn't the front row. Community groups, that's where it happens. Relationship building. Get a Nathan. Be a Nathan. You need friendships.
You need to be shrewdly confronted about your sin. And you're probably at times in the, in, in the kind of biblical community that we're talking about here, you're going to have to shrewdly confront someone else about their sin. Our community group mission is friends about Jesus. It's not friends about affinity. It's not friends about affirmation. It's not friends about success. It's friends about Jesus. So let's look at what God did. I told y'all, verse 14, we noticed that, that he utterly scorned the Lord, and now we get to that. First thing I want you to know is that God forgave. Look at verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned. Here, that's another thing that David did. He confessed. And we know from here, if we go and read the rest of the story, he repented. He didn't use people like this anymore. He, didn't, he, didn't, he, he just didn't do that. His, his life looked very, very different from chapter 13 or on, chapter 12 on. But God forgave. Look at what it says. Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. You deserve to die. I'm not going to kill you. He's put your sin away. That's basically saying, I forgive you. It's, it's big-hearted of God. It's big-hearted of God. But also, nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. That's the hard part. That's the part we have a hard time with. But I want you to know that God taking this child, it's not payback. It's not retribution. It's surgery. It's surgery. God is not taking a sword and hacking David to pieces. He is meticulously, purposely, intentionally cutting a cancer out of his life that if he leaves it, will surely destroy him and destroy hundreds of others. Now here's what we... Here's just a little bit of textual evidence for this. While we say it's not payback and it's not retribution. Because of that word nevertheless at the beginning of verse 14. I'm not, I've taken your sin away from you. You will not die. Nevertheless. So there, that, that's, a, that's a contraction. It's a contractual word. It sets those apart. It doesn't join them. It sets them apart. He says, I've forgiven you. I'm not still holding this. Over you. I'm not still demanding payment for this from you. But we find out why is because you've utterly scorned the Lord. And that word means you've treated me lightly. Basically, he's saying, David, there's this thing in you that I'm cutting out right now, and we're we're making good progress. That causes you to treat me lightly. And if I leave it here. You're going to continue to do that. He says I'm changing. I'm going to, I'm going to have a new system. You've brought this system. And you've finally found this woman Bathsheba. That you really really love her. And I'm not taking her away from you. But this kid, you're going to put all of your hope in him in what you've done. And you're going to base the, you're, you, want to ba- you want to make him your heir. And David, that, I can't let that happen. 
Because you're still going to base it on you and your accomplishments. Because you've taken me lightly. So I'm going to go ahead and take this kid on home with me. Tim Keller says it this, he says, verse 14 begins with nevertheless, which means I'm changing a new system, a new approach, a new issue. Even though you're not being paid back, there's something wrong with your heart that has to be repaired. So what is wrong with David? What's wrong with his heart? Well, that utterly scorn means you've treated him lightly, you've treated him with contempt. He's lost the reality of God in his life. His God is his power, not Yahweh. If he had treated God more heavily, more, more seriously, he could have looked at Bathsheba and said, wow, she is beautiful, but I'm created for more noble things than this. And walked away. But he didn't because he had lost the reality of God in his life. And so he succumbed to the sin. When we lose the reality of God, the weightiness of God, other things become heavier than they're supposed to. Work, sports, relationships, even our kids. God is saying, David, you've treated me lightly. If I don't do this, you'll continue to do so. And you'll put your hope in this child to be your heir. And you will absolutely crush him with your expectations. And you'll set a horrible example for successive generations. This cancer will spread and so in my grace and in my mercy, in my severe grace and mercy, I'm going to cut this out. You see, David was operating from his own wisdom, from his own power. And God said, no, not, not this way. I will honor my covenant with you and I will establish your line, but not this way. The good news is that God never asks us to go through something that He Himself is not willing to go through or has gone through Himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, on His face, with His three closest friends just a little ways away, prays, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine. And God said, yeah, it's got to be this way, son. And he suffers the loss of his own boy so that you and I could live. So that you and I could be made whole at the deepest level of our souls. Not just so that we could die and go to heaven and have all the toys. No, so that we could be whole here and now. So that our souls, as wicked as they are and as prone as they are to take the Lord lightly, so that something could be uncovered and we could realize something about the depth and the majesty and the grace and the mercy of this God who created us that we could see it in what He's done with Christ, His Son, and that that, that would just somehow lighten us a little bit, that, that somehow in, in, in 
gaining the, the heaviness, the weightiness of who God is and the sacrifices He's willing to go through, that somehow that would just set us free a little bit from these other lesser things. The last verse. God crushed His Son, Jesus, so that we could stop crushing our sons and daughters. Verse 15, Nathan says what he says. David confesses. He tells him, the Lord's not going to kill you. He's taken, he's set your, set, your, your, your sin away. Nevertheless, the kid's, the kid's going to pass. The Lord's going to take him. And the last verse says, and David went home. He went to his house. He went home doing what the Lord had told him to do. My question before we pray, before we wrap this up today, is what has the Lord told you to do today? I'm going to ask you to do it before you go to your house. To not let the weightiness of the moment be lost on you. To not take the Lord lightly. What has He called you to do? For some of you, maybe that's to believe. To, you've been wrestling with this for a while and you're wondering you're beginning to see the differences like, hey, you know, they, these Christians just live a little bit differently than I do. They're grabbing another gear that I don't seem to be able to grab and, and you're feeling it. I'm telling you, you're not going to get there on your own by your own moral excellence, by your own achievement. And it's a weighty, scary thing to do. I know it, but I'm asking you to believe today, to simply put your faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone not your own ability. Because we see where that leads. For others of you, maybe it's you, there's enmity between you and someone else or you've mistreated someone and you need go to them. Just don't let it be lost on you. It's okay. There's forgiveness and there's grace and there's mercy and it, it, it's, there's community. And I bet the relationship's not on the line. I bet it ain't. So we're going to have communion. We're going to let you come. Um, those, who, those of you who are believers, that you've been baptized in response to your faith, we're going to let you come and take communion today. Take the bread, reminds us of the life of Jesus. We drink the juice, reminds us of the death of Jesus, that that's our identity, that he's taken all of our sin away from us. We can, and there's freedom in that. We invite you to come and partake. And if you want to have a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus, you can set that out and you can grab me at the end of the service. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate this king who came as a better king that never made any mistakes like David did. That loves us so, so perfectly. So graciously. So merci mercifully. Loves us the way that we long to be loved. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to let you come take communion. We're going to sing together, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace toward David and to uh, those of us that are so much like him, maybe even more than we'd like to admit. God, thank you for your mercy. God, may we take you seriously. May we not take you lightly. God, we love you. In your good name we pray. Amen.